Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us on C. diff spores and more. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website, cloroxhealthcare.com, to learn more about keeping environments safer with Clorox Healthcare. And today we are joined with our guest, Dr. Robert Carmen, and he's here to discuss introducing the microbiome. Dr. Robert Carmen is the Director of Microbiology at Tech Lab. His research focuses on Clostridiotes difficile, and he has graduated from Cardiff University and received his Ph.D. at University of London. He has published 77 peer-reviewed papers and has worked at Tech Lab for over 30 years. Dr. Carmen, at this time, I'd like to welcome you to the program. Hello. Thank you very much, Nancy. Good afternoon. Um, Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad you were able to take time out of your busy schedule to be here with us. And Dr. Carmen, uh, I know that we're excited to learn more about the you know, microbiome. And do you have any goals um, and objectives for today's program? Certainly do. Um, uh, my goal, first thing I, sh- I should say, is I'm not an expert on this, and I'm hoping to give you um, some, a, a talk that is not really expert. It's aimed at an improving level. What I would like to do is leave you with tools for how you can look at microbiome papers and make sense of them. When I first used to see these papers, I found them very overwhelming, and the principal results, the colored charts that they generated, I found confusing. So what I've, I've learned to do is how to look at them, how to spot the important things that I think are important, um, and I worry less about the methods uh, than, than uh, uh, someone who's actually doing it. In that sense, I'm a user uh, uh, rather than an expert generating results. Um, and just having said I'm not an expert, I want you to know that uh, um, historically, when I first started this type of work several decades ago now, my first project was on looking at veterinary clostridial diarrheas of newly weaned animals and trying to re- restore the, what has become the microbiome using um, 12 species of uh, anaerobic bacteria. It didn't work. The outbreak did not get cured by my efforts, but it was a start. And that was, uh, that was where I began. Well, it's a wonderful beginning, in it, and we're so glad you started. And Dr. Carmen, you know, it's so wonderful you're introducing the microbiome. You know, our audience, there are a lot of listeners around the globe who really do not understand uh, the microbiome, and we know that there's the human microbiome and the animal microbiome. So can you start us off by explaining what is meant by gut microbiome? Yes. Um, well, the gut is, a home, is, is home to a great number of microbacteria, uh, m- microbes, uh, bacteria, uh, some protozoa and viruses and yeasts. Um, and especially before you defecate, there's a big volume and there are a lot of organisms in there. And that's the first thing I want to point out. We're really talking about feces. Even though we're discussing the microbiome, we're really talking about feces here. And I think most people could see why it's easier to collect feces than uh, material from inside the gut. Um, but the, mu- the gut microbiomes are 
all the living things in the gut, that's the microbiota, everything, bacteria, archaea like methane producers, fungi, yeasts, eukaryotes, possibly viruses. Those are the, the gut microbiomes, the, the gut microbes. And the gut microbiome is their bacterial uh, or their DNA, their genes. It's, it's the nucleic acids of the fecal microbiota. And really, for us, when people generate microbiome results, what they're really generating is a list of the relative abundance based on the nucleic acids. Um, so it's the gut microbiome becomes basically because of technical features of the way it's generated. The results are limited frequently to, to, to bacteria, and they're presented in multicolored bar charts that uh, 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 demonstrate the occurrence, the relative occurrence of genus and families, uh, sometimes down to species level. And when you look at those, what you see is 90% of everything is a bacteroidetes or a firmicutes, but there are a couple of other things in there. Sometimes there are proteobacteria like E. coli, uh, Veruca microbia like Akkermansia, and there are others. But because of the technology we're going to, th that we use when we generate these data sets, we're really talking about the bacteria in the gut. Okay. Well, that was a lot right there. And Dr. Carmen, how do you measure a biome? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, when, I, when I was thinking about this, I'm not sure measures the word. I say I'm, I'm not really sure, but I'm not going to go into detail on this. But what you have to do is, as I said, you have to collect the feces and, and uh, process them so you have the genetic material from that fecal sample. You can make lots of copies of it by PCR, uh, which has been in the news a lot with the COVID outbreak, the, the initials PCR as an assay method. Um, and how many copies you make of each of the, the DNA samples that you, you purify depends on how much there was there to start with. If there's more at first, you get more copies later. And that's the, that's the key to the relative abundance, how much how many copies you generate. Um, those copies can be sequenced and compared to sequences from known species. And um, using that sequence uh, comparison, you can generate names for the, for the bacteria. Those names have classifications. They fit into species, genus, families, orders, and so on. Um, and that allows you to generate those multicolored bar charts. Each colored section is a percentage of the flora present. Um, and uh, most of them go down to genus, sometimes to family, sometimes to species. But the newer, the newer approaches go uh, into greater depth down to species level. Sometimes they can be even down to a strain level. Um, okay. And uh, um, there are a couple of methods. You can either generate whole microbial genomes from within the fecal uh, DNA, or you can identify the presence of bacteria by their 16S DNA sequences compared to a data set. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Carmen, for explaining that. And is it difficult to do, Dr. Carmen, and what are the problems associated with that? Well, I've got to confess, I've never actually done this myself. I don't know how difficult it is. My wife is a, a molecular biologist and does this sort of thing routinely. She doesn't think it's especially difficult. Um, and she gets her analyses uh, uh, run in a commercial lab. Um, the 
the biggest difficulty is not not getting the results it's what to make with them because there is so much variation uh, within an individual and between individuals and between methods so you want to have a standardized method uh, and you need to have um, knowledge beforehand of how to address that person-to-person variation and the day-to-day variation within people um, and sometimes, uh, for example, there will be, there, I recently saw a paper with someone who had done uh, 15 months of daily samples on themselves or on an individual, probably themselves, um, and had generated a bar chart that showed some pretty big differences, fairly large changes periodically throughout the, the 15 months uh, that tended to be short-lived, revert back to normal. But when you're sampling and you're only taking small numbers of samples, you don't know whether you're getting a, an on-sample or an off-sample from those people. So sometimes comparisons between papers uh, and between reports are made difficult by methodology differences. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Carmen. And, you know, you mentioned it in your um, answer there, you know, about standard uh, standardized methods. Do we have a standardized method today? Um, there are methods out that, that uh, are standardized um, within a lab frequently, and there are methods that are beginning to become more widespread. Um, and I think the, 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 there is beginning to be greater harmony between the tests. Okay, thank you, Doctor. And, Doctor, what do you miss when using feces as a sample? That's a a really good question because clearly feces is not the material inside us. It's it's a blend of everything in the gut. Um, So... When you, when you take a fecal sample, you're, pool, you're taking a pool of the fecal stream. Those are the bacteria that live um, on the residual dietary nutrients that you eat. They enter those nutrients, enter the colon, and they build up uh, a bacterial population growing on them. Um, and uh, there are other bacteria that are attached to the mucin on the gut wall that are less variable than the the, the bacteria in the digester, the mucin-degrading bacteria or the mucin-attached bacteria are much more uniform along the bowel with less variation. Um, But when you look at feces, you're looking at a blend of those two things, and you lose the difference between what's in the digester and what's in the attached flora. Um, And for me, That's very important because it's the attached flora that frequently I'm interested in because it's what happens to the mucin in the gut that that I'm interested in. Okay, wonderful. Well, Dr. Carmen, at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break already. And when we return, we will continue uh, our discussion with Dr. Robert Carmen, introducing the microbiome to us all. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. 
Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. If you miss the live broadcast of C. diff spores and more, we invite you to listen at your leisure. In addition to the on-demand show on Voice America Health and Wellness, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Take us with you worldwide. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us today. We have our guest, Dr. Robert Carmen, joining us, and he has been introducing the microbiome. And at this time, we'd like to welcome Dr. Carmen back to the program. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back, Dr. Carmen. Hello. Hello. Are you there? there? Yes, I'm there. Hello. Hello. Well, Dr. Carmen, you were so kind in introducing the first part of the microbiome before the break. And now we can go on to learning more about the biomes and the changes. And can you explain how the biomes change? Yes. um, Biomes can change. um, And there are several times that they change, the most dramatic change we know of that everyone that's interested in difficile knows of is following antibiotics. And the magnitude of that change is really only matched a couple of times in in a healthy lifespan. When you're born, you have an empty bowel, and there's an opportunity for things to to move in and colonize then. So basically, you go from a, a zero biome to whatever is available in your environment. Um, much like after antibiotics, you go to whatever spore former can get in into the gap created uh, in the biome by the antibiotic. So I mentioned antibiotics is the biggest cha- cause of change, but the dietary changes are at birth and at weaning. That's a very big one where you go from milk um, onto solids, and yet you still have only your milk-degrading flora. That's a window of opportunity for new things to come in and, uh, and colonize the biome. Other times are hibernation, uh, because of the lack of food during hibernation in animals. Old age in mammals, humans and other mammals, you get a change in flora, uh, a change in the biome that tends to be richer in clostridium. Um, you can take antibiotics, you can take probiotics, uh, uh, which are, uh, are live bacteria, often lactobacilli. They don't seem to me to be likely to change the biome significantly unless you take huge amounts every day. And if you stop taking them, I think they would disappear in their effect quite quickly. Um, 
But as I've said, the, the antibiotics are what really does the job on changing the biome or at least creating the opportunity for the change as it disrupts what they're in. It frees up nutrients and uh, affects other metabolites that um, normally are not uh, um, limiting in health. Thank you, Dr. Carmen. And Dr. Carmen, you know, we've mentioned the microbiome, and you just mentioned something before. Um, we used to call it, eight years ago, we called it the gut flora. And that, you know, if you go back and read textbooks and uh, earlier publications, it says changes in the gut flora. That really means the changes in the microbiome today, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. That's that's the old-fashioned nomenclature uh, being superseded by something jazzier and more modern. Okay. Well, it's good to know. And, you know, I love uh, how you discussed about the probiotics. And as we know, the amount is still in research, isn't it? How much we should oh, be taking. Oh, yes. Certainly is. Certainly is. Another thing coming up in the future. So, Dr. Carmen, can you explain to us what makes a good microbiome? Well, yes, I can. Uh, From my point of view, uh, my interests are in Clostridium difficile. And so for me, the things that make you healthy in regard to Clostridium difficile that make you resist colonization is having a richness uh, uh, and diversity. Richness is simply how many different species do you have of bacteria in your gut? Uh, uh, And the diversity uh, is how many, um, how, how their relative abundance. Do you have a lot of just one thing or do you have everything in moderation? And it turns out that uh, good biomes are rich and diverse. They have a lot of species and they have a lot of things in moderation. So when you look at those bar charts, sometimes the divisions are not fine enough for you to, to really spot that. You need to get into it in a bit more depth Um, But when I look at the charts and I want to see the good guys, I look for um, um, things that I think are going to be important in degrading mucin, which is Veruca microbia and Acomancia, um, and a group of Clostridium called 14A, which contain bacteria called Blautia and Ruminococci, and a species called Clostridium sindens, which some of your listeners I'm sure will have heard of by now. Um, so I look for those things in the list as good, pe- good, good chaps, and the, the potential bad people I look for are Clostridium cluster one, because it includes C. difficile, um, and I look, uh, so, sorry, cluster 11, because it includes C. difficile, cluster one, because it includes C. perfringens, and the proteobacteria, because they include E. coli. C. perfringens and E. coli I regard as indicators of disturbance to the, to the flora. They're the things that get in easily and tell you that they are occupying a, an exposed ecological space. And of course, if you want to maintain a good, good biome, stay away from antibiotics and don't change your diet rapidly. Although I do think uh, rapid diet change is, is very like, uh, is very mild compared to the effects of antibiotics. Exactly. And, you know, speaking from a patient side of C. diff, once you've had an infection, even any infection and have been on antibiotics for an extended period of time, we do believe that 
it, it, we end up with broken microbiomes. <laughs> that we, we yeah. all can say. Yes. And so, doctor, can you tell us, is there more than one good microbiome? Yes, this is this is this begins to get into the the meat of today's story, and that is, I've, so far I've been talking about a list of organisms in relative abundance, and that list has a redundancy in it. You can have a list of organisms that does the job of preventing you from getting Clostridium difficile, and you can have a different list that does the same job. Both of those are effectively good microbiomes, but they aren't the same. Um, we aren't always clear on what the differences are because we aren't clear on what it is in either of those two good microbiomes that's doing the job. So we have a list, um, and they have some function. The, the, the bacteria in each of the biomes have a function, and that function is excluding difficile but we don't know necessarily which members of the good microbiome are doing it. It's possible that there are core species that, that are important, um, and so that's an issue of do you need the entire microbiome or do you need just a core membership to, do the, to, to have the function of colonization resistance? Um, and there are other types of microbiome that people have documented and described that unrelated to C. difficile that seem to suggest within healthy Westerners there are what they call enterotypes, microbiomes that seem to be perfectly normal uh, amongst uh, uh, healthy adults, but they are predominantly Bacteroidetes or predominantly Prevotella or predominantly Ruminococci. Um, those have had suggested uh, benefits and problems, but by and large, the enterotype theory has been questioned more recently as not holding up under close scrutiny, even though each of those is potentially a, a good biome. The, the enterotype might fall short of being a good biomarker in the end. Okay. Well, Doctor, thank you so much for all that information. And Doctor, is colonization resistance the only function of a healthy biome? Oh, far, far from it. It, it, is, it, is, it is the one that, that's most interesting to me, but it is not the only one. There are, there are lots of them, really. Um, and it is surprising how many of them have a contributory role in C. difficile biology. Um, and I, we'll get into that shortly. But, but there is a, a function that converts bile acids from primary to secondary. The secondary bile acids are bacterial metabolites, there is a function that degrades mucin from the gelatinous, sticky stuff that, that lines your bowel to absolutely gone. It's gone completely as a result of microbial action. Um, microbes generate short-chain fatty acids, which have been suggested in the past as contributing to uh, colonization resistance, although I'm, I'm not a fan of that theory. They help regulate the, the pH of, of the healthy gut, and that's very important uh, in, in babies uh, uh, in which the, the flora or the, mi the, the microbiota and the diet are very important in, in the pH regulation. One of the other functions is if you can count the, the number of E. coli and the number of bacteroides and compare them to each other, that's a ratio that lots of people used to use as a way of avoiding doing more complicated analyses. 
do you have a lot of aerobic bacteria or of mainly anaerobic bacteria? A good biome will have mainly anaerobic bacteria. Uh, and there are a series of enzyme assays as well that people have done. Um, these things used to be used when it was too expensive to count bacteria and before the appearance of the biome analyses with PCR and, and, and 16S databases and so on. So function, functional microbiology has been around a long time um, and it is becoming more important again as, as people try to incorporate um, that side of microbiology with the microbial list that the biome research generates. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Carmen. And we are three minutes before we go to break. And would you be able to explain, other than after antibiotics, are there bad biomes? Um, well, probably, although the, 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 the antibiotics are, are, are the bread and butter of bad biomes, if you like. Um, but if you can find something that has low species richness and a low species diversity, that would be the start of looking for a, a, a bad biome. I don't think you would actually see necessarily a loss of lots of functions automatically um, uh, that would be easy to, to correlate to biome data. I don't know that that has been done yet. Um, but uh, I suspect the definition of, of richness and diversity uh, contributes to the biome and the biome, poor as it is under those circumstances, will have reduced functions. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Carmen. Um, we have a few more minutes before we go to break. Um, maybe you'd like to take a moment and give a brief summary up to this point? Yes. Yes, certainly. Well, we began with the gut microbiome, which we reduced down to the fecal bacterial biome um, by excluding the other components. And then the fecal bacterial biome, the way it's studied, generally equates to gut bacteria. Or, uh, so so we're, 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 we're saying that the feces and the gut bacteria have the same um, roles, essentially, in, in, in biome analyses. Um, and then the healthy biome has a healthy function, and there is a possible contribution from the core biome, uh, and antibiotics are the fastest and most profoundly radical way to change the, the, the biome, uh, although diet will have slighter effects that will take longer to appear and will probably revert back to normal far more routinely than will an antibiotic impact. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Carmen, for sharing all that amazing information with us. And at this time, we are going to pause our discussion for a commercial break and important messages from our sponsor. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. To help support the C. diff foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. 
Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thanks so much for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. It's been wonderful speaking with our guest, Dr. Robert Carmen, and he has been here discussing the introduction of microbiome. And right now, it's a pleasure to reintroduce Dr. Carmen back to the program. Welcome back, Dr. Hello. Carmen. Hello there. <laughs> okay. Hello there. Well, thanks so much again for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. It's a wealth of information you're sharing with our global listeners. And Dr. Carmen, in this section, our, which is our already our third, sec, um, third part of the uh, program, starting with healthy gut microbiome, would you try to apply all of this to the C. difficile story? Yes. Um, well, I want to, 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 to uh, consider a couple of things, and that's we're talking about the, the, what happens in the large bowel in the colon of a person, um, and that's the colon is a... a hollow tube with a mucus lining and that mucus is is protective protects you from the digester that's flowing along your bowel uh, uh, which is essentially outside you if you think about it um, and the mucus uh, the mucin layer is uh, secreted as a very very thin gel uh, but it contains a protein core and a lot of um, branched carbohydrate chains those branch carbohydrate chains are readily metabolizable by bacteria. It's um, about 90% of mucin is carbohydrate. If your bacteria don't use it, something else will. And that something else is sometimes C. difficile. Um, so using all your mucin up and having flora that does that is a healthy biome function. Okay. Thank you, doctor. And doctor, what happens to mucin in the colon? As I said, it's a, um, it's a, a glycoprotein. It's a protein coated in, in branched chains of sugars. 
Um, and at the end of each of those branches is a, a specific sugar called a sialic acid. Um, and that means there is a lot of sialic acid and some other sugars in mucin. And as I've said, normally your bacteria use all those up and nothing else can because your bacteria get there first. And that's the effect that antibiotics have. It changes that. It changes the presence um, in the, at the site of the, uh, of the carbohydrates. Okay. And Dr. Carmen, how exactly do antibiotics change things? Um, well, that's, it's not absolutely clear, but what seems to happen is mucin degradation isn't stopped. It continues. It's just now disturbed, and everything is uh, in a mess, effectively. So those free sialic acid molecules that are clipped from the branched sugar chains, they, become, they go up in number. Free sialic acid rises. Uh, we've done some work with clindamycin in hamsters, and it looks like uh, they double in just a few hours. And that's the source of energy that colonizing bacteria that come into your bowel during that period exploit. So your colonizers that come in are in a race with your natural microbiome in, in a race to, for, in competition for those substrates. Uh, and many of the colonizers that come in after antibiotics are very good at using sialic acid, and that includes salmonella, enterococci, and C. difficile, but they all lack the ability to actually clip the sialic acid themselves. So the antibiotic um, uh, changes the ability of your normal bacteria to clip and hang on to the sialic acid, so it's clipped and now it's free, and other things can exploit it. Um, so those salmonella, enterococci, and C. difficile, they all have fully functional sialic acid gene sets to get energy out of sialic acid, but they lack only the one thing. They just can't clip it from the mucin. So the antibiotic upsets the balance and the stranglehold that the normal flora has and lets the other guys in to colonize. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Carmen. I'm going to ask you um, something that uh, is beyond the microbiome, but can you just explain to our listeners, uh, we get this question often, and that is, does C. difficile, do the spores live uh, just alone without being, um, you know, uh, without the toxin A and B, but do they live in the colon? Um, the, I think if you swallow spores, I think all of them pretty much will germinate. Uh, they, will either germinate they will either be killed entering the, 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 the stomach by acidity, or they will germinate uh, in, the large, in the small bowel, and they make a bid to colonize, but there is insufficient substrate present. Okay. So they die Thank out. Thank you so much. You, you end up, it Ex washes out faster than, than, it, than it's, it multiplies. Thank you. Without exactly. antibiotics. Okay. Thank you so much for explaining that. And when you were explaining about the antibiotics, how they change things in the um, salic acid, um, is this what FMT resolves? Yes. Um, FMT is replacing essentially everything that's been, everything in feces with uh, um, a, a, a wide spread of fecal bacteria. 
Um, you aren't trying to plug a, an individual gap. You're just saying, I've lost the function, and I'm going to replace the, the function with a fully functional fecal microbial mixture. So you're plugging the gap and more. You're not trying to specifically uh, address one single thing. Um, and part of the reason for that is we don't have a very good idea of individual species that need replacing after antibiotics. What we know is the function needs replacing, but we're not sure which individual ones need replacing. So we have some educated guesses, but basically giving full fecal flora is more likely to, to replace all the uh, um, altered functions than giving a defined list. Although defined lists are clearly much more desirable for patient, from patient point of view, uh, they come with a little bit more demand, if you like. Okay, exactly. And Dr. Carmen, is there anything else that antibiotics do? Yes, they do one other very important thing, which is, to, which is a complement of what they, they do to mucin metabolism. Um, mucin metabolism is disrupted to provide a, an energy source, but antibiotics also met, uh, affect bile acid metabolism, which changes how C. difficile can behave. In a healthy person, in the small bowel, bile acids um, uh, um, germinate uh, uh, the spores in the small bowel, but you can't grow because there isn't a substrate. The, 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 the C. difficile can't grow. In the large bowel, in health, there is a secondary metabolite of bile acids produced by bacterial activity that stops spore formation. So the, infected, the infectious cycle of spores in feces is disrupted in health by normal bile acid function. And in a newly uh, person ingesting spores, the takeoff of C. difficile is inhibited by the presence of the healthy function of bile acids in the small bowel. That's disrupted by antibiotics. So you end up having, um, uh, you end up having uh, um, uh, a loss of colonization resistance following, bile, uh, following antibiotics, and it's to do with the bile acids. What people have so shown recently is that this is a function of largely of clostridia, um, but some other bacteria do it as well. The, the, the most famous one is Clostridium sindens. I think I've said it right. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, uh, Blautia species do it as well. Um, and uh, Blautia, incidentally, also live on the mucin. So they do both mucin metabolism and bile acid metabolism. So they're a very important member of, of a healthy biome. Um, after antibiotics, you get fewer Clostridium sindens, fewer Blautia, you get more primary, less secondary bile acids, more free sialic acid, and that combination needs only incoming spores for C. difficile to uh, follow. Okay. And Dr. Carmen, does FMT, which stands for fecal microbiota transplant, um, restore C. sindens and secondary bile acid production? Yes, certainly does. What's interesting is um, that particular function has been uh, uh, knocked out by antibiotics and targeted for replacement by specifically adding syndens back into a, 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 a biota transplant. So the full fecal 
microbiota will restore both those functions and the syndens bile acid function can be restored by targeting that single organism into a, a piece of therapy. Um, the same could be true of the, the mucin degrading organisms. They could be sent in to uh, address the, uh, the loss of function. Okay. And Dr. Carmen, do you have, um, is there a test that we can test um, the fecal matter before we do an FMT that we would know if there are C-syndens and, and what it is made up of? Oh, oh yeah, yes, certainly. You, you can do essentially a biome analysis on, on donor feces and make sure that they have the species that you, or the groups of species that you're interested in. You could make sure that they were present in the material that you were using. Um, yes, that would not be difficult to do. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much for all that information. And Dr. Carmen, at this time, we are going to go to a commercial break. And then we will come back and continue our discussion on introduction to the microbiome. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-CDIF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against CDF and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. And welcome back to the program. And thank you for joining us today. Uh, we have our guest, Dr. Robert Carmen, joining us, introducing the microbiome. And at this time, I'd like to re- uh, welcome Dr. Carmen back to the program. Welcome back, Dr. Hello. Carmen. Hello. Hello. 
you're already you're ready and set and ready to go here and thank you so much for sharing all this amazing information about the microbiome with our global listeners today and dr carmen the defined list sometimes includes lots of clostridia can you tell us why yes when 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 the advantage of, of, of using stool feces uh, um, to, to do a transplant uh, um, is uh, um, obvious. It has everything in it, and that's also dangerous because sometimes if you are excreting something that's undesirable, that's also present. That's one of the reasons that uh, fecal transplants at the moment are, uh, are um, uh, restricted because of the possibility of transmitting COVID virus. Um, but get back to the, the, the clostridia. One of the things that happens is when you have antibiotics and the mucin uh, is, is made or sialic acid is made available and the inhibitor, inhibit, inhibitory properties of bile are uh, uh, reduced, then lots of things can grow up in, those, in that space. We know C. difficile can, but we also know that Sometimes non-toxigenic C. difficile can. In fact, they do really well. They are the best thing to compete with C. difficile. They do everything that C. difficile does that makes toxin except make toxin. So they're exploiting those good conditions for them that are, that are created by antibiotics. So do other clostridia that are in the same group, the Clostridium cluster 11. They are also... Um, uh, go up after antibiotics. And we see that sometimes um, where Clostridium inoculum, for example, appears to be more common following antibiotics than before. And it's that group of Clostridia that are doing basically the same thing as C. difficile, exploiting the same opportunity. They are, if you like, not normal flora, but they are competitors for colonization with C. difficile. So if you put in names, named clostridia, you aren't necessarily putting back in what's routinely present. You're putting sometimes back in what you bet will grow very, very quickly, sop up all the available nutrients and exclude C. difficile. Um, and that's why I think some of those clostridia are there because they are good competitors because they're actually quite closely related. Um, and one of the other reasons, to be frank, is that people, uh, people want to use spores, spore formers in, in uh, protective floras is the ease of production is, is, is much greater. Um, uh, having spores, you can stop them growing, you can manipulate them in various ways that you can't always do with live bacteria. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Carmen. And can you take a moment and explain what happens to babies with C. difficile? Yes. Um, th this is one of the most interesting, interesting things going. If you think about it, uh, um, what we do know is that babies often have C. difficile, they're often toxigenic, and they often make enough toxin that if it was in an adult, the adult would be ill. And yet the baby seems to not care. Um, and this is in babies that are fed exclusively milk. They can be colonized. They can, be, they can have toxin, but they don't appear to suffer any consequences for it. Um, and that is assumed to be something to do with the exclusivity of the milk diet, keeping out the bacteria that occur generally in the digester, the, the material that, that that's grow, the bacteria that are growing on what you eat. Um, uh, and in babies, 
The milk provides a lot of the mucin sugars present in the mucin are also present in the milk, and there is little fiber and not an excess of protein. And what happens with that is the difficile can grow. There does not seem to be any um, growth of a largely gram-negative adult flora, and for some reason that conspires to make the, the baby immune to the, 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 the consequence of the toxin. I think possibly because receptors are not exposed uh, at that time. We're not really sure. Okay. And Problem will Dr. Cummings, sorry, go ahead. I'm off. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to ask you, is, is there anything wrong with the formula? Um, well, the, the, this situation arises in, in the, the, the protection from, from C. difficile is most obvious in babies that are fed exclusively milk with no solids. Um, babies that are fed formula have acidic bowels uh, because of the, the lactose in the formula, but this, the acidity is not generated in the same way that the acidity is generated in a, in a, milk, in a breast milk fed baby. So you get a different function um, occurring that does not necessarily exclude C. difficile easily. So babies that are born prematurely that don't necessarily get their mother's vaginal flora but just get the environmental flora around them, that are not fed colostrum and mother's milk that have the benefits of antibodies and the right nutrients but get fed a lot of lactose in formula, those children can, can have a, a, an overgrowth of C. difficile um, and it can be quite unpleasant in the hospital because they don't have the exclusive milk-fed flora, and sometimes they, they are susceptible to the toxins. Um, and that's a, 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 that, that's a lot of bad hits all occurring at the same time, but they do, they do sometimes occur like that. Absolutely. And we've been reading more and more research on that, too. Thank you so much for sharing that, Doctor. And, Doctor, um, can you share with us about over-the-counter probiotics? Yes. Um, I'm not a big fan of, uh, I'm not a disbeliever in them, but I, I do not, I'm not a big fan of over-the-counter probiotics as likely to help a person who's considering taking them to help themselves have a, a healthy flora, uh, particularly if they're uh, worried about C. difficile. The, they are, um, they could be useful, um, they don't necessarily have to do it because they don't have the functions that you, I, I think you really benefit from having in, in a fecal transplant, which is mucin degradation and bile acid metabolism. The, the, the over-the-counter probiotics, which are largely um, lactobacilli, do not confer those benefits. The things that might help you would be a prebiotic, the compounds that, that good bacteria eat. And the prebiotic that I think people would take uh, would be oligosaccharides, and, and I suspect they, they are available in, in, in Kroger's, Walmart, and places like that. They provide substrate to the bacteria that, um, that are generally present uh, um, in health and uh, provide a... Um, some prospect of, of colonization resistance against difficile. And if you complement that, the probiotic, with sensible minor changes in diet, not big changes, a varied diet, and 
absence of antibiotic. Those are the things that you can do to help your gut flora remain stable and agreeable and useful to you. Amazing. Thanks so much, Dr. Carmen. And at this time, Dr. Carmen, do you have any closing comments that you would like to share with our listening audience? Um, no, I, I, I think only hammering home the benefits of, of maintaining a healthy gut flora by avoiding unnecessary antibiotics as the biggest hit. Uh, so, so, you know, parents going to daycare centers where there are lots of coughs and colds that are viruses, that's not the, that they don't need antibiotics. That's not good for the, the gut flora. Okay, absolutely. We will chime in with you there and second the motion. And also, Dr. Carmen, um, would you like to share any contact information or a website with our global listeners? Um, yes, I, if anyone wishes to get hold of me, they can contact, contact me at TechLab. My, um, my email address is rjcarman at techlab.com. Um, Wonderful. Carman is spelled C-A-R-M-A-N. If you spell it with an E, it'll be stripped and I won't get the message. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't want that to happen to you. And Dr. Carmen, we thank you so much for joining us today as a guest on C. Dip Spores and More and are so grateful for your dedication in the microbiology, the science, the research and development and diagnostics community. And at this time, the members of the C. diff Foundation would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Please learn more about their products. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website at cloroxhealthcare.com. And we wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health through research and development of new products to address C. difficile infection prevention treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials focused on C. diff, their infections, and recurrent C. diff infections, prevention, and treatments, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, cdifffoundation.org, clinical trials in progress. Help them to help you to help others. To learn more about upcoming events that you just will not want to miss out on, please visit our website. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated for and recovering from C. diff infections and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe, especially the COVID-19 virus. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.